It's amazing that about 20 years ago, a little bit less than 20 years ago, I started as the high school pastor at Emmanuel Church. Right out of college, I graduated and uh, my wife uh, went to church here growing up. Her family went here and uh, she got me the job. And it's pretty awesome how that worked out. And I was in my early 20s when I first got the position. And about two or three years into the position, I remember um, something, some, something interesting happened. Uh, I wasn't much older than the students at that time. So uh, as the youth pastor, I sort of felt like an older brother, uh, especially to the younger girls. We had freshman girls, sophomore girls, junior girls, and uh, senior girls in our youth group. And I was very protective of them as uh, their older brother. Didn't quite feel like a father. Oh, a little bit felt like, okay, it's my responsibility. And so I just had, I just remember having this overprotective feel for the girls in the youth group. And um, and we would go on youth events. I would be like, I'd be watching them like a hawk and counting them, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And I just felt huge responsibility for that. And I remember one particular time, about three years into the youth ministry, there was a, an a older gentleman, older, I say older than a high school student. He's a little bit younger than me. Started hanging around the youth group, kind of like on the fringes, like, you know, I asked around, I'm like, who is this guy, you know, and well, who invited him? You know, it's like, I didn't invite him. Did you invite him? No, he's, we don't know why he's here. So that, that thing kind of got triggered inside of me, that brotherly protection, fatherly protection got triggered. And so I started to investigate a little bit, come to find out that he had a crush on one of the 16-year-old girls in my youth group. That was not going to happen under my watch. <laughs> and that's why he was starting to hang around and, you know, whatever. And so I called a meeting, and I refer to these as come-to-Jesus meetings. Anybody ever have one of these? It's like, we're going to get all, we're going to get this figured out. And it was in my office about 100 yards over there uh, many, many years ago. And I thought the conversation was going to go smoothly. I thought it was going to be like, hey, here's the deal. You know, this is what I found out. This is not going to go down this way, and you need to not come around anymore. And so I had that conversation. I said those things. And to my surprise, he pushed back. He's like, well, you know, it's my church too, and you can't tell me where to come and go. And things started to get a little bit heated. Now, I grew up in New York City, so just to give you a little background, there's a lot of words that would be used and when those words were used they would trigger a, a fight and so he said some things that fell into that category and option since option a didn't work like option a was like okay I won't come around anymore that's cool I went quickly to option b which was to choke him <laughs> so I grabbed him around the neck because that's what the words he said triggered that. And I'm like, you don't understand. And I, and I quickly caught myself. And it wasn't a long choke. It wasn't like I wrestled him to the ground and he almost died. It wasn't like that kind of choke. I mean, I wanted to do that. But um, I choked him. And it's because I didn't have option B. I, option B was not. It shouldn't have been in the cards. It was. In the, but but anyway, 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 I didn't go to jail that day. I might have. But God's grace was good to me. And, um, uh, you know, I'm here today to confess to you that I no longer choke people. So everybody can relax. That was like 20 years ago. It's not a, an option. I've grown a little bit. Really, you shouldn't clap for that. But anyway, <laughs> we're in a series right now called Better Lovers. And what I've been trying to learn and what I realized that day many years ago is I didn't, I wasn't interested in loving this man. I was interested in protecting and guarding and and I've had to grow in my ability to love others, especially those who are hard to love. 
And that's what this series has really been about. I want to welcome all of our campuses right now, our Franklin campus, our Banda campus, of course, our Greenwood campus, our online campus, and our brand new Purdue microsite. Can we give it up for all of our campuses? Welcome as we wrap this thing up. And uh, what we, we've been having this discussion about loving people. We said, man, our world is in rough shape. Lots of bad things going on in our world today. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. In the end times, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. And that's what we're seeing. Like people just don't care. They could care less about the well-being of other people. And that's at best. At worst, they are harming other people. Inflicting abuse on other people. And that's what we see. We turn the news on and we see that all over the place. And the answer is not a political one because, you know, politics doesn't get to the source of the problem, which is the heart. I'm all for politics and I think we should all vote and we should have great politicians and we should have great laws. That serves its purpose. They serve their purpose. But Jesus did not say go into all the world and get elected and make sure that the laws reflect the Bible. That's not what he said, okay? He said go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Why? Why is that the solution to the problem? Because a disciple is someone who's committed to follow the teachings of Jesus. And the primary teaching of Jesus is to love your neighbor as yourself. He said it this way, the golden rule. Do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. The apostle Paul said that love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. In other words, if I choose to love you and you choose to love me, I will only do what is best for you. What does that mean in our community? What does that mean in our world? It means that we will stop hurting one another. We will seek the good of another. What happens to human trafficking in a world where, where people are made a decision to love one another? It goes away. What happens to school shootings in a world where, where students have decided to love their fellow students? It goes away. Like, like a lot of these problems that we're seeing in our world today, they just disappear because of what? Because of discipleship, because of people choosing to love their neighbor as themselves. Do you agree with this? And so that's what we've been talking about. How do we grow as disciples? How do we become better lovers? Not, not how do we love those who love us. Jesus said, hey, it's easy to do that. Even sinners can do that. But I'm talking to you about loving the people that fall into the category of your enemies. People that have hurt you, people that have harmed you, people that you disagree with. Last week, our campus pastors talked about loving selfish people. Didn't they do a good job? All of our campus pastors. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Matt. And uh, so, yeah, so today what I want to do is kind of wrap this puppy up and talk about people who are difficult. How do we love people who are difficult or difficult people? Now, this, these are different from the toxic people that we need to set up boundaries with, okay? The people we need to set up boundaries with, we talked about in week number one, they are people that will abuse you, harm you if they have a chance, and you have to create boundaries in your life and push them out for a time being until they can change. I'm talking about, not those folks, I'm talking about the people that are in your life. Maybe you're married to one of these people. <laughs> Maybe one of them is your kid, maybe one of them is your parent, okay, co-worker, they're not going anywhere, but they're incredibly difficult. Anybody know what I'm talking about? These people are very opinionated. They're always talking about what they think about everything. It's very difficult to love those folks. I'm talking about people in your life that are demanding. It always has to be their way. Oh, these are, these are hard to love. I'm talking about people that try to control everything in their situation. They try to control your life. <laughs> they kind of try to control their circumstances. They're hard to love. I'm talking about people that refuse to take responsibility for their life. They're always blame shifting. It's never their fault, right? These folks are really hard for me to love. Then there's people who lie and deceive and tell half-truths. They're very hard to love. 
Then there's those people in your life, they're always negative. I mean, they just look for the negative thing and they just focus on that and they're always complaining. Anybody have anybody like this in their life? Oh, negative people are hard to love. Then you got those people where the story is always about them. It doesn't matter what's going on. Like there could be an earthquake in Australia. Somehow it's about them. Oh, one time I saw an earthquake on a, on a National Geographic and I was scared. And it's like, wait, there's an earthquake in Australia. How did this become about you? I mean, just like this piece. Have you had those people in your life? Doesn't matter what's going on. They always one up you. It's always about them. Then one time I went camping. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> She's telling the story about camping, not you. But just those folks are really hard to love. Narcissistic people, egocentric people. And they ain't going anywhere. They're there to stay. Some of them are in your family. <laughs> you work with them, your coworkers, their teammates. They may, may be a boss, maybe a fellow employee. How do we love them? I love what the Bible says in Proverbs 25 verse 19. It says unreliable people are putting confidence in unreliable people. <laughs> it's like chewing with a broken tooth or walking around with a sprained ankle or a lame foot. It's hard to have someone who's difficult in your life. Every step you take is ah, ah. every bite you chew. Ah. Oh, man, that tooth. That's what it's like to have a difficult person that's unreliable in your life. Today, I want to answer the question. I want to try to answer the question. How do you love these types of people, these difficult people in your life? I want to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Unfortunately, it has become, it has become a cliche passage uh, that's very unfortunate because it's so incredibly practical and it shows us what love really is and more importantly, what agape love is. And, and when I say agape love, I'm talking about the love of God. 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle Paul says this. He says, love, agape same word used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, for God so agape the world. Same word. Agape is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. And it's not rude. He continues. It does not insist in its own way. That's the selfish piece we talked about last week. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't hold a record of wrongs. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. We're going to circle back to some of this at the end of the talk. But for now, I want to focus on the next two lines. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I want to focus on two words, bears and endures. Agape love, first of all, bears all things. What does that mean? It literally means to suffer. The word to bear means to tolerate, to come behind somebody. And if this is somebody's junk in their life, to come up behind somebody and to literally carry their junk, whatever it is that they bring into the relationship. That's what the word bears means. The word endures is very similar. It means to stand your ground. It means to be stubborn. It means to dig in your heels and to be immovable. That's love. Whoa. Love for who? Love for the people in your lives who have all kinds of junk in their life. No wonder they read this passage at weddings. <laughs> You get two people up here and they're all like, oh, I love you. You know, tears are coming down and they're holding hands. And I've been to so many weddings and I've been in my own wedding. And I remember 
And it's so sappy sometimes. I mean, it's beautiful and it's beautiful, but it's just so sappy and there's puppy love. And, and the pastor's the pastor, and I don't do a lot of weddings, but the ones that I do, I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> they have no idea what they're really getting into. <laughs> because what's happening is that husband is marrying a very difficult wife. And that wife is marrying a very difficult husband. And they have no idea just how difficult they are. What they're going to come to find is that they're marrying a person that has anxiety issues. That's tough when one spouse is just, and this isn't a marriage talk. This is a relationship talk. <clears throat> just always fearful about the future. What? what about the future? And what about this? And what about insurance? And what about the kids? And what about my mom? What about my dad? Where are you going to get a job? Are we going to have enough money? Ay, ay, ay. Listen, anxiety in a person, I mean, that's tough to carry around. It's like, will you take a chill pill? Will you learn to pray? Will you learn to trust? Because it's hard to deal with all your anxiety. And then you got, you know, this one's tough. You find out your spouse is lazy. Oh, gosh. Pick up your clothes. Close the cabinets. Like, put the dishes away. Do something, right? You find out. You know, this one, this one's huge for me. My wife hates it when she tells me, she'll say, she'll say, okay, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And you want to take them, our son over here? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I forget. <laughs> Tough. We talked about this, this, this one, this one's really hard. One spouse cheats on the other spouse. And trust is gone. You feel betrayed. And now you said, I do. And you said for richer or for poor, or you, you said for, for, you know, for better or for worse. And you're sitting there and you're carrying this bucket full of unfaithfulness. That's what it means to bear all things, to endure all things. Then you find out that, you know, one person is rude, obnoxious, passive aggressive. I don't know, there's a bunch of stuff in here. Talked about blame shifting. I mean, you name it. There's this one right here. Oh, this is, this is, this is, you find out I married a mean person. They're just, they're just mean. All kinds of crap in there. It's real. And then you got these two people up in there crying. <laughs> it's almost a joke. It's like. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 24 says this. Better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. You can tell the Bible's written by a man sometimes. <laughs> it's like, well, where's the verse about the husband? Like, you know, like, it's like if it was in there, it would say something like this. You know, it'd be like, you know, better is to stay single than to marry a lazy man who can't hold down a job. Like, where's that verse? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe we should add that in there because it's so true. But he's so cute. Who cares? Don't marry him. <laughs> it's hard. It is hard to love difficult people. And, and, and that's why some of you said, Danny, I, I did it and I've carried it and he didn't change and she didn't change and, and I'm done. I can't do it. The laziness, the selfishness, the, 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 the passive aggressiveness, the lying, the deceit, the inconsistency. I've carried it for 10 years and I'm out. And that's why the divorce rate is 
people choosing not to love because they're out of energy. And I get it. Out, out of energy, done, I can't do it anymore. I did it for 15 years. I did it for this long. I can't do it. And again, this isn't about marriage. It could be a friendship. It could be a business partnership. It could be the church, the people with, you do church with in small group. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. And I get that. Honestly, I believe that you and I weren't designed to, to love the way God loves. Like God's love is agape love and it is powerful and we don't have it in us naturally, which is why if we want to love the way Paul's describing in 1 Corinthians 13, we need to go back to the source of love every single day. If I want the strength to carry the load of the people, the difficult people in my life, I need to go back every day to the source of love to find the strength to carry the load. The Apostle Paul John said this, the Apostle John said, but anyone who does not love God or finds themselves unable to love doesn't know God. It's not connected with God in the right way because God himself is love. Like to say that I know God and not to love, it's like, like that's contradictory. Like because loving God or God being love and being, being able to love, those things are synonymous. They go together. Like if I say I know God, I ought to be loving people because I'm connected to him. And when I've struggled to carry the load, I, I know that, that something's gone wrong. Because I'm dropping, I'm not carrying the load anymore. I'm not enduring anymore. My love has come to an end. The Apostle Paul one time was struggling with something that he referred to as a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what it was. It could have been a sin that he was struggling with. It could have been a physical ailment, something in his body. It could have been a difficult person. We don't know what it was because he doesn't say. But what he does ask the Lord is to take it away from him. Lord, take this thing away. It's killing me. Three times he asks. And the Lord responds to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 like this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your Weakness. What in the world is God saying? Jesus says to Paul, hey, I'm not going to take away this thorn. Instead, what I'm going to give you is my grace. Now, unfortunately, in the church and in the Christian world, grace, the word itself, has been reduced to this idea of undeserved favor of God or the unmerited favor of God, which that's exactly what it is. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve, forgiveness, reconciliation, all those wonderful things. But it goes beyond that, according to the Bible. The Bible says that grace is power, that grace is strength to do what? To carry the thorn in the flesh, to, to deal with the difficult person, to bear up the load, to endure whatever situation that you're in. Grace, according to the Bible, is the strength to carry the load. God says, I'm not gonna take away the thorn in your side. Instead, I'm gonna give you my power, I'm gonna give you my strength to be able to deal with whatever situation you're in. That's what I will do for you. Commentator William McDonald said this, better than the removal of trial and sufferings or difficult people in your life is the companionship of the Son of God in them and the assurance of his strength and enabling grace to endure them. Sometimes God says, no, I'm not gonna remove the problem. I'm not gonna take away that difficult person. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna be with you in that situation, empowering you and giving you grace to endure. That's what we have to do. We have to go back to the source if we want to be able to carry the load. Now, how do we do that? 
How do we go back to the source of love every single day so that he can give us the strength to carry the load of the difficult people in our life? That's a great question. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the apostle Paul says this. He says, but the fruit of the spirit or the Holy Spirit produces this kind of result, this kind of fruit in our lives. And then he goes through that long list. And the first thing on the list is what? Agape. Love. And then he talks about joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all these wonderful things, most of which are manifestations of love. In other words, if you want to be a loving person, you've got to connect to the Holy Spirit all the time, every single day, because the Christian life is really a supernatural life. It's a life infused with the power to carry the load, to do things that you cannot do in your own strength. Jesus said it like this one time. He said, I am the vine and you guys are the branches. If you stay connected to me as a branch, if the branch stays connected to the vine, then you'll bear much fruit. But if the branch disconnects from the vine, you can do nothing. Or better stated, can you imagine I can state it better than Jesus? No, let me take that back. You could say it like this. When the branch disconnects from the vine, you can do what you can do in your own strength and then you're out. And doesn't that reflect most of our lives? I tried and I'm done. I gave him my best, and I'm out of energy. Well, yeah. Humanly speaking, that's what happens. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the goal then would be for me and you to connect or cross paths, that's a better way we can say it, cross paths with the Holy Spirit every day so that he can infuse us with his grace and his power to do what we cannot do by ourselves, which is to carry the load, yes or no? Let me show you four ways to do that. First of all, we got to cross paths in the morning. Cross paths with the Spirit of God first thing in the morning when you wake up. The mornings are so critical. They start and impact the rest of your day. If you hang out with me at all for any, any length of time, we're going to eventually talk about your morning routine. It doesn't matter who you are or what your problem is. We're going to talk about, okay, how, tell me about how, when you wake up. What do you do? First thing. Why? Because it's so critical that first thing in the morning that you're in the word of God and surrendering your spirit and opening up your heart to him and seeking the kingdom of God and asking him to fill you, asking him to guide you first thing in the morning because that sets the pace for the rest of the day. And what we're doing in the mornings is, is in getting God's power and strength to go through and carry the, the loads that we have to face. Sometimes it's difficult people, sometimes it's difficult circumstances. But whatever it is, we gotta go first thing in the morning and say, God, would you fill me? The best decision I have ever made in my life is to do what Jesus did in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, which was to get up before the sun rose, before the sun was up, and go find a solitary place and pray to the Father and read the scriptures and ask for strength. Best decision I've ever made in my life. I don't spend time with God so that I can tell you I spend time with God in the morning. No, I spend time with God because I absolutely need to. Because I only have so much strength, personally, individually, on my own. I can't go very far. I can't pastor this church very well in my own strength. I can't father my children in my own strength very well. I can't husband my wife very well without God's strength. I can only go so far. And so first thing in the morning, we cross paths with the Spirit. Number two, we cross paths on the weekend. Right here, right now, on the weekend. This experience right here, right now, is designed for you and I to cross paths with the Spirit of God. 
We have planned that way. We have prayed that way. We have 60 staff members now at Emmanuel. It's amazing across all four campuses. 60 staff members working all week long to prepare environments for you in this room, for your children, middle school students, high school students through the week. We have over 1,300 volunteers on the impact team that are laboring hundreds of hours for this moment right here so that, so that something can be said, something can be sung. You can have some sort of experience with the Holy Spirit where he, where he encourages you, infuses you with grace, where you hear something that you needed to hear so that you can have strength for living. And here's what blows me away. After hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours have been put in, many people decide on Sunday morning, oh, I have the sniffles. I think I'll stay home. We were up late last night. I'm tired. Let's sleep in. Can I do a little pastoral venting right here? I don't really have a counselor, so I'm going to like sit on the couch and vent a little. Can I do that? That makes sense to me. 60 staff members, hundreds of hours. This talk alone was 15 to 20 hours of, of work, of study and preparation and practice. Some of you think I went to Home Depot this morning and got some bricks. <laughs> like, oh, he's so cute. Look, he's got bricks. <laughs> Little wheelbarrow. Oh, fun. He probably thought of that last night. This has been in the works for weeks. And here's the crazy part. On Easter, we've got 8,000 people fill this place. We, got, we don't even have room. But on an average weekend, about half of you say, ah, I'm tired. My nose is running. I think I'll stay home today. I don't understand it. When all of the work has been put into this moment so you can cross paths with the Spirit, so He can fill you with strength, what? To carry the load. We got to get up in the morning and cross paths. We got to get up on the weekend and cross paths with Him. And then we got to cross paths with a person. We got to cross paths with a person. Not everybody's filled with the Spirit. Not everybody is guided by the Spirit. Not everybody is infused with the grace of God and the power of God. But there are some, and you can find them, and your job is to cross paths with them so that some of that energy and some of that strength rubs off on you. Best decision I ever made in college was to get around a bunch of godly guys. In high school, I had some really knuckleheaded buddies. And the result of that was a lot of bad choices. And I thought, well, maybe now that I gave my life to Christ, it works the opposite. So on a hall of 60 guys at Liberty University, I handpicked the top three godliest guys. They weren't the coolest guys. They didn't dress the best. They couldn't really play basketball or any other sport. But I knew that they took their faith seriously. One guy's name was John. And I observed John for the first couple of weeks of school and he was a prayer leader, and he took his faith seriously, and everything he was talking about was revolved around what God thought about things and what the Bible said about things. And I was like, this dude's legit. And I was just learning. I'd just given my life to Christ. On his dorm room, he had a Bible verse that said, uh, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me, who died for me, and rose again. And I memorized that verse because of John Humphreys. And I started spending time with John, and he started to show me some things, and I watched his life and his values. Guess what ended up happening? I started to become more like him, and I started to develop some of his values because I, I put across paths with him. I put myself in his place. 
And there were other guys like Jay Thompson and another guy named Bryant Blanchard and I could go through a couple of other guys. And I went through college that way. So who are the godliest guys, not the coolest guys, not the most influential guys, not the jocks, not the ball players, not who are the godliest men on campus? I'm gonna be next to them. I don't know why I did that. I just decided to do that. And here I am today, a pastor leading a church. Had no idea where that would take me. Cross paths with a person. And number four, cross paths in any way possible. Cross paths with the Spirit of God in any way possible, in any way you can. You hear me talk a lot about Bible study and prayer and meditation and fasting. And you hear me talk about silence and solitude. You hear me? These are all ways to cross paths with the Spirit. Why? So he can infuse you with grace and power to do what? To do what you cannot do on your own. In fact, a spiritual practice is any practice that you do in your life that puts you in the path of the Spirit so that he can fill you with his strength, with his grace, with his his power to be able to carry the load. That's what a spiritual practice is. John Orberg, a pastor of another church, he said this one time, he said, one of the spiritual practices that God told him to, to, to put into play was getting in the slow lane on the highway. Anybody ever do that? On purpose. And he's like, well, what's, what's that? Why do I need to do that? Because, and, and the spirit said to him, listen, John, you think your life is way too important. You think that you, you, know, you need to go, go, go because your agenda is important. And so you're in the fast lane and I want you to get in the slow lane and I want you to learn to trust me for the results. And I want you to learn to, to rely upon me and slow your life down. See, I, I'm one of those people like, if there's a slow person in the fast lane, I get right behind them and get on their bumper. That's me. And then if they don't move, then I pass them using the slow lane and get back in the fast lane. But as I'm doing it, I shoot them a look like, what is wrong with you? Like if I was still a choking person, I would choke you, but I don't choke anymore. You know what I'm saying? I've grown through that. But what are you doing in the fast lane when you're going slow? Like that didn't make sense to me. Like my life is important. I've got to get here. I've got tasks to, to, to accomplish. I've got places to go. Holy Spirit says to John Oprah, get in the slow lane. That's a spiritual practice. Anything that puts you in the path of the spirit that infuses you to do what you cannot do by yourself. One time the spirit of God said to him, not me, him, <laughs> get in the longest lane at the grocery store. Get in the longest line at the grocery store. Can you imagine? Like if the spirit of God said that to me, I would say no. <laughs> so you have no idea where I've gotta be. I cannot get in the longest line in the grocery store. Anything anything possible to, to cause you to look to the spirit and trust in him and be filled with his grace and his power. Now, that's what we gotta do in the morning, on the weekends, with a person or in any way possible. That's for us to become filled with love, agape love, to love the difficult people. But what about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 earlier? Love is patient and kind, it doesn't envy or boast, it's not proud or arrogant, it's not resentful, it doesn't hold a record of wrongs. Those seem to be things that I need to fix. Like agape love looks like me asking the question, what's it like to be on the other end of me? Oh, maybe I'm the difficult person. Unkind, rude, self-centered, always insisting on having his own way. Proud, boastful angry. Here's what love says, according to Paul. Agape love says, hey, um, 
am I making it heavy for you? Like, being around me, is it difficult? I remember, I don't know why, a couple, it was many years ago, I was on an extended date with my wife, and I must have heard that question somewhere because I asked it to my wife. We were out there, we were in St. Louis, I remember because of the arch. And we were outside, and I just said to her, I said, honey, what, what am I doing that's driving you nuts? Which is a version of this question. And you know my wife, maybe you don't, maybe you do, but she's like the most gentle, nicest person. She was like, oh, you're a great husband, you know, sweet. It's like, okay, enough with the platitudes, but what, 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 what am I doing? Like, really, seriously, I know I'm an idiot, so just tell me. And she said to me, well, when you raise your voice at the children, it creates a toxic, like, uh, really, like, culture in the house. I was like, okay, that's fair. She said, I really wish you wouldn't raise your voice so much. And I have a loud voice. So when I talk, I'm like, hey, you know, let's go. Let's do it. Put your shoes away. Like, that's the way I do. The shoes just drive me crazy. It's like a trigger. I see a pair of shoes. I see red. I want to choke somebody. And so I told her, I said, well, if, that, if that's what, you know, if that's what drives you crazy, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to. I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to lighten up. Let's be honest, it was probably two or three of these. <laughs> and I said, I'll try to. Now, I don't have it perfect. My kids are here. They know that at times I still see shoes and raise my voice. I'm not saying I got it f- fixed. But man, I don't yell as much as I used to yell. If you want to know what agape, if you want to know what love looks like, it looks like saying, going to the person in your life, saying, what am I doing? Like, what's, what's making it so, what's making it like, oh, gosh, I can't, I can't, can't carry it. What am I doing that's making it hard for you to be on the other end of me? And whatever they say, maybe, maybe it's your temper. I don't know. Maybe, it's, maybe you're just, you refuse to take responsibility and you're a blame shifter. Just take it out. Get every verse in the Bible on anger, memorize it. Get, get two books and read about anger. Like, what, get a counselor and have them talk to you about anger. Like confess anger to your small group and say, I will take it out because love doesn't make it different. Love does what is best for the other. That's what love looks like. For some of you, it's pornography. It's just been kicking your tail. It's been messing up your marriage and you need to go and say to your spouse, like, what do I need to do? Well, if you just get rid of that stuff, get rid of that filth, get it out of the house. Okay, I'll do it. I'm going to get it out. That's love. Love is both a commitment to carry, to bear, to endure, and unload whatever is making it difficult, whatever it is for the other person. That's what love looks like. What would happen in your home in your office, in the school that you go to, if both parties were committed to carry and unload? What would, what would happen to the divorce rate? Like, what would happen in, in our community? Beautiful things would take place. The answer, honestly, at the end of the day, is love. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Two questions of application today I want you to work through this week with you and your time with God and in the spirit. Have you committed to carry? Have you made the decision? Oh God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to draw upon your strength. I'm going to cross paths with you in the morning, the weekend, with a person, in any way possible. 
You are the source of love. I'm going to carry the load. And then secondly, what will you unload? What do you need to take out to make it easier for the other person? Get those Bible verses and memorize them and get those books and read them and get a counselor and talk to them and confess it to your small group. That's what love looks like. And listen, nobody did this better than Jesus. Nobody bore up, carried our burdens, our sins better than Jesus. Listen to what Peter said. Peter, one of his closest disciples, Peter said this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He personally carried our sins. Where? In his body, to the cross. <laughs> this is love. You want to know what love looks like? All you have to do is look at a cross. Like Jesus literally took all of our sin, everything, every lie, every deception, every lust, every piece of greed and covetousness and all of it, and he carried it in his body to the cross. And he was nailed to a cross. What does love look like? It looks like Jesus on the cross, bearing our sins. Why? So that we can be dead to sin and alive to what is right. By his wounds, the nails in his hands, the nails in his feet, his back that was torn up because of the cat of nine tails whip that he was whipped with, the, 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 the holes in his brow because of the crown of thorns that were put on him. By his wounds, his crucifixion, we are healed. Not from cancer, not from diabetes. We're not talking about physical healing. We're talking about the healing of our soul. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are washed of our sins because of what Christ did on the cross. He carried our sins in his body to the cross. That's love, folks. I don't know about you, but when I heard that, when I was 17, and I knew all the stuff that I had ever done, all the lies and all the deception and all the wrong, and, and I heard that, wait a second, you know, so he died in my place? And I remember the day when I put my trust in Christ because I felt that love and it overwhelmed me and it wasn't a religion and it wasn't a church. It was a relationship. It was a God saying to me and, and he's saying it to you right now. I love you and I paid for your sins. Will you respond to that? Will you trust in me? I was a goner, how about you? It's called grace, it's called mercy. It's called forgiveness. I'm going to say a simple prayer if you feel moved right now to put your, your faith in Christ. Just take these words and make them your own. Reach out to him today. You're not joining a church. You're not becoming part of a religion. You are starting a relationship with the God of the universe who loves you. Take these words, make them your own. Jesus, thank you for carrying all of my sin to the cross. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for loving me, even in my sin. I put my trust in you right now. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me of all my sin. Make me your child right now by faith. By your wounds, heal my soul pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, first of all, we want to rejoice with you, don't we, church? Come on, nice and loud. Best decision you'll ever make.
Somebody told me when I put my faith in Christ to get a Bible and start reading it. And so I did that. And then they challenged me to memorize certain portions of scripture. And so I did that. And so we like to do that as a church. If somebody prays to receive Christ at any of our campuses in our online campus, we want to, we want to put one of these in your hands today. If you pray to receive Christ, there's tables in the back of the auditorium where you're at. If you prayed online and you trusted Christ, there's a little box there that you can check that says, I trusted Christ. Put your address on there and your, uh, we'll, we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, guys, can we give God glory. Amen. Come on, nice and loud. Amen.